Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey, and a hello to Eric Crema, the host of Spotlight on Success. I love that name, Eric. Um, I wish I would have thought that, but that's your name. Um, <laughs> Anyhow, I, I just want to know who you're talking to today. Yeah, so today we're going to talk with Jared Drozdowski. Uh, he is the development director at Birthday Dreams. And uh, right off of their website, uh, here's the synopsis. Uh, Birthday Dreams is dedicated to bringing hope, joy, and a sense of self-worth to homeless children with the gift of a birthday party. So we're going to talk all about that. It's a it's a really feel good charity, and I think you're going to enjoy the interview. I bet I will. I love these type of operations mm-hmm. and nonprofits that do that sort of thing, and I'll be anxious to hear your interview. How about you, Paul? Well, I have two guests today. Uh, one is Tom Wilson, and the second is Dr. Lucy Spellman. First up will be Tom, and he is like in his mid sixties, and he was thinking about retirement. And he realized he didn't really have a plan. He reflected that he may have a life ahead of him that may be 20 to 30 years. And so I think a lot of people in life, they're programmed pretty much up to a certain point. You know, they are working for a job. They come home every day. They're raising a family. So they're pretty well programmed in. But when you hit the retirement bell, it's kind of like, you know, you're on your own a lot. And that can sound really good. But I think if you don't have a plan, it can also be really lonely. And so he reflects on that. And he wrote a book called Next Stage in Life. Mm. Is your retirement uh, something that you want to do and, uh, and create your own life? You know, a lot of people have the luxury of working, but 50% of people over 65 are working out of necessity or they just want to stay busy. So it's a really important question, I think, to ask. And I think a lot of times there's stereotypes about older adults. I mean, that we're getting over in other societal stereotypes. The last one left is older adults. And what you think sometimes about retirement is getting in a Winnebago and going across the country or something. That's what you do. Um, I wouldn't be caught in a Winnebago for a <laughs> drive you know, down the freeway, uh, let alone get into going to campgrounds and things. Nothing wrong with that. It's just not for me. And that's what I think a lot of older people have a lot of interest in doing different things. And so that's why I was very caught by this book. And I want to talk to him about that. And, um, you know, you want to do something, maybe teach or find a hobby that other people can benefit from. And uh, again, the title of this show is Voices of Experience. Come on this show, talk about things that you can help other people really get benefit from. One more uh, comment on that. Whatever you think of President Biden, when I talk about experience, and that's the central point of this show, is that I think he really showed experience does matter in dealing with the situation we've had recently and are going to continue to have in Ukraine. He's been experiencing government for 30, 40 years. You may not agree with him, and I don't know what you think about him, but he definitely, I think, experience that he's had has benefited from us. That's my opinion. Um, then next we have a Dr. Lucy Spellman and, uh, she is a wildlife veterinarian. She was the first woman and youngest person to head the Smithsonian national zoo. She brought two giant pandas into the U S from China. She worked as a consultant to animal planet. And at one time she moved to central Africa to run the field program for gorilla donors and doctors. 
And um, as Bill Maher would say, my old job. So we're, um, I think we got a great show, Eric. Both of us combined, this is going to be fun. So Tom Wilson coming up next. When a flock of geese knocked out two engines on U.S. Airways Flight 1549 right after takeoff from LaGuardia Airport, who would you want in the cockpit? Captain Sully or a pilot on their maiden flight? If Captain Sully was your choice, then experience is important to you. And that's what Voices of Experience with Paul Casey is all about. People with experience in their chosen fields. A variety of topics are explored, including local and national public affairs, self-employment, travel, lifestyles, health and fitness, history, and adventure. Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey. Voices of Experience is simulcast on AM 880 KIXI and 1150 AM KKNW on Wednesdays at 3 p.m. Voices of Experience is also rebroadcast on Kixie Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. Where would you love to live? Have you explored today's market? When I spoke with Heather Ramos, she instantly put me at ease. I'm Coach Debbie from Story U, and I recommend Heather to first-time buyers or dream home shoppers and everyone in between. Let Heather's experience lead you to a perfect location and style and all within your budget. Contact Heather Ramos at Keller Williams. That's Heather Ramos at KW.com. Every day, literally, thousands of people turn 65. Some feel excitement, some feel scared, and probably a little bit of both. But just think about it for a moment. A lot of your life up to that point is pre-programmed. You have a job, you have a family, and pretty much your days are set. And now you hit a point where you may have open, free time. What are you going to do with that time? You kind of think, oh, this is going to be great However, if you don't have a plan, it may not be so great. So I talked to an individual who wrote a book on this, and it's called Next Stage, In Your Retirement, Create the Life You Want. His name is Tom Wilson. So let's just get right to my discussion with Tom about this very important subject. And I think it does really a lot of good if you get proactive on this. Your background and what led you to writing this book? So I hit 60 like a lot of people. So I was dealing with the sort of transition to the sort of next generation of that group and thinking about, so what am I going to do? I think I'm going to have hopefully 20 or 30 years of healthy life ahead of me. And was I kind of ready for doing something different? And so I started reading a bunch of books and they were all kind of very focused on one thing like financial planning or uh, some things on health and things about power of purpose. But no one really ever kind of put that stuff together in a way that made some sense to me. I, I learned that there are 10,000 people a day turning 65, so I didn't feel much, I didn't feel alone. I just, that there's like this phenomenon that's happening. And I decided, you know, I think there's a book here and it's got to be about something that's more a sort of a one shop one place that integrates a lot of these concepts that people talk about in these various books in terms of like, you know, who are you and what you're going to be. And so uh, as I uh, walked my dog through the woods a lot of Concord, um, thought a lot about what to do with that. And this emerged was like, and I interviewed people and read these books and stuff. And I said, you know, there are really five questions that seem to be common. So what are you going to do with your time? And are you going to have enough money? And uh, who are you going to live with about relationships and 
how do you stay healthy? Lots of interesting stuff about health, you know, and then the issues around identity and lifestyle and stuff like that. So I just found myself fascinated by the idea of saying, um, I kind of put this together and put it in a way that would be research-based, tell stories, and provide worksheets and checklists and guidance to help people figure out their own solution. When I talk to various people about their finances, I think they're doing much better than they think they are, and it takes some Mm -hmm, financial mm -hmm. planning, and they would be at a better place, but they don't seem to do that. Do you find that at all? Absolutely, and it's almost the rouge they put around why they aren't dealing with some more important issues, like, so who are you going to be when you retire? When you ask you the question, so what do you do? There's like a choke that occurs in people's throats. And so a lot of people say, I'm hesitant about that, and they will talk about money. It's like the reason that people say the reason they leave their companies is because of pay, and oftentimes that's obviously not the answer. But some people do need to worry about it. I mean, most people do need to worry about it. And so the question is, how can you do things that you really want to do in this life while you still can and make money at it that you can live on? And so there's this living responsibly kind of question that's sort of implied in all this. Um, for some people and others, um, you know, it's it's relax. Okay, your financial planner has got it all figured out, and you can see what the numbers look like, and you can live on 4% of your assets and have a nice life. What about the people who are, let's say, facing retirement, and they're coming mm-hmm. down the pike, and they haven't asked these questions? What do you think mm-hmm. is the first thing they should do? You have this laid out really well, and you say, like, what do you want to do with your time? And that right. sounds easy, but I think it's real difficult. When I do this, and this kind of goes back a bit of my sort of training background, is I help people look both backwards and forwards. And so I had this wonderful story I'll tell you about that. I was at a, a baseball game. I'm a Red Sox fan. Obviously, I live in Boston. And I was at their training camp in Fort Myers. And I was sitting next to this guy that was like naive, four years old. And um, so I said to Tony, we got talking with her. I said, Tony, so what's the secret for a long life? And he looks at me and he points his finger and he says, never stop working. And he realized, we were laughing about that. And his wife leans over and says, and he never sits down. And what was so interesting about the story with Tony is that he's actually true. It's not about work, but it's about doing things that are purposeful and have meaning for you. And that will actually create something that keeps you going. So with that, I said, okay, well, who can help somebody answer that question? If you look back on the times in your life when you were in your element, you just love doing what you're doing. And don't just look at one, maybe look at four or five or six of some really interesting, useful experiences that you, you know, World War III could come and go and you wouldn't even notice because you were so engaged and so energized by what you were doing. And then also look at the things that you're really good at. What are your core strength, your uh, unique abilities, the things that you're really, really good at? So if you can find ways of doing the things that you love doing, using the skills, maybe helping to refine those in some ways in some capacity and look for creative ways to do that, what you find is that people find a level of meaning that they don't get by just sort of playing another round of golf. Maybe there's something else that you ought to begin looking at. So part of what I do... Proactive versus having things come to you all the time. You have to get out there. Absolutely. You know, that's a really good point because I look at this thing in in an interesting sort of way. So if you fast forward to a point in time in your life when you can't get around, you physically are just not able. So you've got some time between where you are today and where you are at that point in time to do the things that you really want to do, to be able to look back on your life and say, you know, my life was well lived and I did what I wanted to do with it. And that's sort of my wish for people is that they would use this 
time both to figure that out and then to do it. Because I like to say frequently, if not now, when? That's great advice. And uh, let's move mm-hmm. on to another one, and that is staying yeah. healthy beyond, yeah. let's say, the obvious yeah. eating well, exercise, right. and, and get plenty of sleep. What, what would you right. expand on that? <laughs> I was talking to a naturalist, natural food uh, uh, counselor the other day, and he was saying that what he advises his clients is everybody knows is about fruits and vegetables, but you know, if you allow 20% of your diet to be stuff that's junk food or whatever, not healthy food, but you maintain fairly disciplined around the 80%, you'll be healthy because your body can tolerate some level of intolerance, you know? And so there's certain things that we can do that it allows us to focus on the things that is in fact helpful. Like, you know, they talk about the Mediterranean diet, the blue zone diet. Um, and in exercising, the part of the thing about exercise is, is making it fun. So they can do like fast walking or they can do riding bicycles or whatever. They can sort of do something more Almost every day, they give you some level of get your heart going. And then, as you were saying, is everybody has certain things, small things they can do that is to take care of themselves. And it could be things like, um, you know, how you focus on vitamins, how you look at, um, like, getting, like you said, about sleep. Or, you know, there's some really interesting things that people are doing because you have to take ownership of your health. The research is showing that, you know, only 25% of your health is, is a function of your genetics, and 75% is based on your behavior. The person that's responsible for you is yourself. And so what can you do now? Even if you wait till your 70s to start exercising on a regular basis, it will have enormous benefits in terms of dementia, your stamina, and doing whatever. So it's about finding little things that you do that starts changing your own behavior in a way that you say, you know, I feel good about that. The people who do live into their 90s and have a healthy lifestyle, they're always on the move. They're doing something. So that spoke to me that activity is so important to get up and out the door and doing things. Yeah. And our longevity in other parts, other developed countries, longevity is actually increasing like about three months every year. In the United States, it's actually going down. And a lot of it has to do with um, obesity and, you know, some, you know, addictive habits, smoking and, you know, other kinds of alcohol and stuff like that. So the stuff that's so interesting about all this is the the book is not probably going to give somebody totally new information. Oh my God. And now I found the, you know, the panacea It's stuff that people probably already know, but to some stuff, it gives them some more reason as to understand it a little more deeply about whatever it might be talking about. And then to sort of say, you know, time to take ownership of your own health or your time or your relationships and start to deal with them because the next stage is going to be harder. It's kind of a call to action, but trying to do it in a nice way because I'm a nice guy. Um, <laughs> now your book is called Next Stage in Your Retirement. Uh-huh. Create the Life You Want. And you also have a website, uh, org. You've got great information yep. on that. So you can also order yep. the book on that. But before I yep. let you go, I want to ask one other question yeah. here. And this sure. is kind of a dicey one. And that is find out who you want to live with going forward. Now, I think that's a default <laughs> decision for many of us. I hope we don't cause mm-hmm. divorces in this conversation. Right. <laughs> could you elaborate on that? What's interesting is it's not just about your primary relationship, although a lot of the divorce rate of people over 60 has tripled in the last 10 years. So this is a question for some people. A lot of people in their work life were with a community of people. They're working with, you know, the band of brothers or sisters or whatever. 
And now on Tuesday afternoon, they're alone. And so the question is that I used to have all my friends at work or friends at whatever, and now I'm alone. And being alone is not good. Uh, so part of the challenge is to look at rebuilding yourself as a community of people that you can hang out with, just sort of replace them. And we, it is clear that men in a primary relationship do better in terms of longevity and, and a quality of that life than men who are single. But that's not true for women. But women who had a group of sisters they could hang out with actually had the same effect as having with a male having a primary relationship. One of the people I talked to, he was discovering that he didn't have the kind of relationship with his kids that he had wanted. He had had a divorce quite a number of years ago, and you know he kind of let the relationship with his kids wander. And he said, you know, I want to rebuild my relationship with my kids. So it touches people in lots of ways, but relationships are pretty damn important. That's author Tom Wilson. The name of the book is Next Stage. In your retirement, create the life you want. If you'd like to get a copy of this book, you can just Google Tom Wilson Next Stage. And now for this week's edition of Voices in History. I am deeply disappointed and sharply disagree with the Supreme Court verdict. I must put my feelings aside, though, and accept the finality of the outcome, which will be ratified next Monday in the Electoral College. Tonight, for the sake of our unity as a people and the strength of our democracy, I offer my concession. Donald Trump just kidding, of course. Those were the words of Vice President Al Gore conceding defeat to George W. Bush on December 13, 2000. This came about after weeks of legal battles over the recounting of votes in Florida. Remember the hanging chads? Vice President Gore won the popular vote by more than 500,000 votes, but by conceding, he narrowly lost Florida. The Electoral College vote, 271 to 66, that gave the presidency to George Bush. No more comments. On December 13, 1925, actor Dick Van Dyke was born. He would go on to be known for his movie classics such as Mary Poppins, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, and of course the very popular Dick Van Dyke show along with Mary Tyler Moore during the 1960s. And he is still going strong. On December 15, 1977, the United States announces it will recognize Communist China. President Carter states that as of January 1, 1979, the United States will formally recognize the People's Republic of China and sever relations with Taiwan. On December 16, 1773, in Boston Harbor, a group of Massachusetts colonists, disguised as Mohawk Indians, 
boarded three British tea ships and dump 342 chests of tea into the harbor. The midnight raid, known as the Boston Tea Party, was in protest of the Parliament's Tea Act, a bill designed to save the faltering East India Company by greatly lowering its tea tax and granting a virtual monopoly on the American tea trade. On December 17, 1903, near Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, Orville and Wilbur Wright make the first successful flight in history of a self-propelled aircraft. The gasoline-powered propeller-driven biplane stayed aloft for 12 seconds and covered 125 feet in its first flight. This was not enough time, however, for the flight attendants to distribute the coffee. And on December 17, 1777, the French foreign minister officially acknowledges the United States as an independent nation. More locally, on December 13, 1949, Bellingham had the world's tallest Christmas tree, but was bested by Seattle's Northgate Shopping Center one year later. Eric Crema, last week, in his segment in highlighting the Christmas holidays, spoke about Seattle's Northgate Shopping Center having the tallest Christmas tree in the world, over 200 feet tall or something like that. So a lot of this information, minus the smart aleck remarks around it, is courtesy of the History Channel and also in Washington State, a great website, historylink.org. On today's Spotlight on Success, I'm speaking with Jared Drozdowski. He's Development Director at Birthday Dreams. Birthday Dreams is dedicated to bringing hope, joy, and a sense of self-worth to homeless children with the gift of a birthday party. What a great and unique idea. Well, let's welcome Jared to the studios here. Jared, how are you? I'm doing well today, Eric. I appreciate you having me on the show today. I appreciate it. I appreciate getting to know you. Uh, it's been about six months now that we've kind of done a few things. We've done some interviews, and I know you've got some exciting things happening on a couple of our sister stations, which uh, I think will be wonderful. But I wanted to introduce to this audience on Spotlight on Success uh, a little bit about yourself and then Birthday Dreams and what it's doing for local children. So let's just start at the beginning. How about your background? Well, I've been uh, in nonprofit development, fundraising, event planning for about 20 years now. Started out my career uh, living in Arizona, the land of my birth, and in okay. Phoenix, Arizona, at the Phoenix Art Museum. Worked there for about six years. I was the uh, senior level corporate relations officer, so working with you know company sponsors for the museum. Did that for a number of years. Uh, moved on to uh, Denver, Colorado, where I worked in Boulder at Naropa University as its major gifts officer, uh, Buddhist-inspired university. I was raising uh, funds for them mm. and doing the events for, for Naropa for a number of years. And after that, moved out to Washington State, where I lived in north-central Washington in Leavenworth uh, 
you know, pursued a, my master's degree in archaeology. I've got a passion for ancient cultures, uh, particularly Mesoamerican cultures. And concurrently, while pursuing my degree, I worked at the Wenatchee Valley Museum and Cultural Center as its development director, and then eventually in Leavenworth as the events guy for Leavenworth, both working for the Chamber of Commerce and as the operations manager for the Fest Hall Civic Center. So for a few years, every single major event that took place in in Christmastown, USA, went uh, across my desk. So a lot of experiences there, fun stories, but uh, the arc of my career brought me out to uh, the Puget Sound area, where for a number of years I was the campaigns and development director for Compass Health, a nonprofit uh, behavioral health organization in Everett. And then once I heard about the position opened at Birthday Dreams, never heard of Birthday Dreams before mm-hmm. finding about uh, out about their open position as development director, applied and was very happy to have uh, accepted the position here at Birthday Dreams about a year and two months ago. Uh, it's a great organization, and I'm really looking forward to chatting with you a bit more about this. Well, it sounds to me that, that it's like everything sort of led up to this for you. It's interesting, uh, your your life's path up to this point and uh, working on both the uh, spiritual side a little bit and then the archaeological side and having that acumen and then working in events with over there in Leavenworth and other places. So you seem kind of uniquely qualified to maybe take a, a charity like Birthday Dreams and bring it into the forefront. You know, that's a good way of putting it. And a part of my professional goals has always been community oriented and, you know, education, trying to learn more about what's going on in the world, both through a historical lens and through a contemporary lens. And and being here at Birthday Dreams has really allowed me uh, the opportunity to, to see what's going on in our community in terms of the homeless issue, which is you know, it's, it's expanding, unfortunately, and ways in which we as individuals and organizations can address such big problems right down to that individual level. So community, learning, all kind of coming together here at Birthday Dreams. Well, you had mentioned uh, even for yourself, it, Birthday Dreams was a name that you hadn't heard of. And more and more people are going to hear about it because of your efforts and the efforts of the founders and people internal to the team um, over over the next year. And uh, obviously the goal is to put it top of mind for a lot of people, particularly those who care about children. So let's talk about Birthday Dreams and, and what it does and how it benefits those homeless children in our own community. Well, Birthday Dreams is founded on a simple principle, and that is, you know, we're dedicated to bringing hope, joy, and a sense of self-worth to homeless children with the gift of a birthday party. And we do envision a community where every child is celebrated on their birthday. And this all started back in 2009. Two local Renton area moms, Chris Spahn and Shannon Avery, wanted to do more to serve the least fortunate in our community. They saw the growing homeless issue here in Renton and decided to take action. And they founded Birthday Dreams as a 501c3 nonprofit on the principle that children who are experiencing homelessness need a reason to keep going every day. And Birthday Dreams can be one of those reasons. We provide smiles to those kids on their special day when often their birthdays might have been overlooked due to the financial hardships that their families are currently experiencing. And from a garage in 2009 to where we're at today with over 80 shelter partners in King, 
Snohomish, and Pierce counties. We provide that complete birthday party experience to the children who would not otherwise have one. And these parties include everything from gifts, cake, tableware, goodie bags, balloons, juice games, and of course the the birthday presents themselves, all tailored specifically to that individual child's needs. So we, um, we've, we've done a lot in the past 13 years and we're poised to do even more for our community partners and the children and families we serve. You know, I think about things in my own life, you know, you, you kind of key in on those major world events, let's say, and you can ki- and you can remember where you were at that moment, uh, things like 9-11 or uh, the stock market crash or whatever. You kind of remember where you were in your life. Second to that, and, and actually not second to that, first to that would be looking back and thinking about those um, seminal birthdays that you had, you know, the when you were 16, when you were 21, when you were 10, when you were eight, whatever that special birthday was, having that fond memory is, is I think, a wonderful thing for most of us. And, and, and what a cool thing to bestow upon someone who's less fortunate at this time than to give them that memory looking back. Yeah, it's interesting that, that you mentioned that, Eric. You know, I was talking with my best friend just the other day, and <laughs> We met at a, my birthday party, my fifth birthday party. Uh-huh. I've heard this story before, but it was 1983. The Star Wars movie Return of the Jedi was in theaters. My mom put together a, my kindergarten friends. I didn't really know any of them, but into this theater. And we're sitting there for my birthday watching Return of the Jedi. And this kid next to me is reading all the Job of the Hutt, you know, text scroll on the screen faster than my mom was to us. And I was, wow, this guy's smart. Wow. And from that birthday moment, I've got a friendship that's lasted almost 40 years. Wow, what a gift. So birthdays have got a huge impact, whether we want to really you know, dive into them and understand the importance of that moment. It's there and it's present for all of us. And, and the kids that we're serving, we're hoping to give them just that little slice of, of that happy memory, too. Well, let's talk about your website, because when initially I started talking about birthday dreams here internally at the radio station, uh, I had a woman that I work, I've worked with for many, many years. Uh, she went on the website and started looking through some of it and actually got emotional, um, thinking about, first of all, I didn't know this existed. What a great idea. And I want to help. You know, So maybe walk people through the experience of that website. Yeah, well, the website really is the one-stop shop for everything that we do. Um, it provides a, a good glimpse into the the clients and families that we serve. Uh, we've got some quotes, some photos, uh, and clips of you know the parties that we have presented. Um, and a big part here that I want to mention is we don't want to take credit for these parties. You know, when we deliver a birthday party or the birthday in the box package to the shelters or the, or the parents, we want to step back and let those parents be seen as heroes mm. in the eyes of their children. It's a really important psychological element to the services that we provide. But yeah, the website is where you go to see how you can help, what type of volunteer opportunities we have available. You can see some write-ups on the parent follow-up questionnaires that we receive from the, the kids and families that receive our services and the glowing 98% approval rate that we have with the clients and families we serve. So really, I do encourage everybody to go visit the website. There's something at Birthday Dreams. If you're interested in supporting us, not only financially, but through on-the-ground volunteerism, 
We can we got cake bakers, we got gift wrappers, we need delivery drivers. There's a whole host of ways to help. And we're looking and thank you to you, Eric, and the radio program here today for getting the word out because we want to get more people involved. Absolutely. Let's start with the website. How about the address? That's birthdaydreams.org. Real simple. Birthdaydreams.org. And as I said, once you get on the um, website, it's kind of like a rabbit hole. You'll just go through it and you'll start looking at all the photos and reading the, the different testimonials and things. And I love the aspect of having the parents be the hero in the situation and in really birthday dreams and the donors being this facilitator that that makes this special moment happen. So birthdaydreams.org. Um I, I recommend you look at that and learn how you can help. It's totally scalable, right? It can be a small thing or it can be a large thing. It could be a monthly contribution that you just do because you know what? Birthdays happen every month. So um, what a wonderful thing. Well, uh, congratulations so far, Jared, at your tenure there at Birthday Dreams. It sounds like you are really helping them uh, build on what they the success that they already have. Uh, you had mentioned it started in a garage. I think of a garage band, but this is a garage helping hand, right? So, right. Uh, what a cool thing that Chris and Shannon did, and what uh, and I'm glad that they have someone of your caliber behind them helping as well. Thank you so much, Eric. And I do want to have one last little plug here for what we do at Birthday Dreams. We've got two events on our annual cycle. One coming up is our Miles for Smiles 5K. We've got one in the fall that's our Gala of Dreams. The Miles for Smiles 5K fundraiser starts on Friday, May 27th, runs for two weeks to June 10th. Our registration page to be a participant in the 5K is open and live now. Uh, we are looking for people, you know, whatever you like to do. You run, hike, bike, sit back and just donate. Get your colleagues, your friends, your families together. Support your cause for our cause and raise some money and awareness in the process. So go to our website again, that's birthdaydreams.org. Click on the Miles for Smiles link. That'll take you through a different rabbit hole of how to become a participant or a sponsor of the 5K. We're still looking for sponsors. If you're interested, feel free to peruse. My contact information's in there. We'd love to have everybody join that cause. Thank you so much, Jared. And for the rest of the listeners to Spotlight today, uh, Spotlight on Success, be sure to tune in next week for another interesting conversation. And as always, best to you. Dr. Lucy Spellman is a board-certified zoo and wildlife veterinarian with degrees from Brown University and the University of California at Davis. During her tenure as the first woman and youngest person to head the Smithsonian National Zoo, she brought two giant pandas into the U.S. from China. She worked as a consultant for Animal Planet before moving to Central Africa to run the field program for the gorilla doctors. There's so much more to her background. You'll find out more about that as we go through the interview. Let's just get right to it. My interview with Dr. Lucy Spellman. You obviously had a love for animals, but when did that turn into your life's vocation? What point were you at when you said, this is what I want to do? That's a good question. I mean, I, I always wanted to work with animals, and then I, I wanted to take care of them. I think that started 
you know, we had some pets when I was growing up, and my aunt was a human doctor, and I just got it in my head that I was going to be an animal doctor. And for all animals, I mean, I was pretty young, maybe 10 or 11, and that many, many years ago now. And I think that that wiring to do this work is pretty similar. Most veterinarians, no matter what the species they work with, kind of were wired that way, and it kind of is this focus. And it helps because it's a long, it's a lot of training to get through veterinary school, and in my case, you know, many more years to be a specialist in zoological medicine. I mean, it's an amazing job, and I love it, and I think you kind of have to be wired for it to, to do it. So, yeah, everything I can remember is really the short answer. <laughs> yeah, what's interesting is I just spent the last weekend with um, a former veterinarian and graduated from Washington State University. He's 89 years old, and uh, he's very much involved in what's called the Doney Pet Clinic out here. He started along with this gentleman by the name of Doney. It's a uh, veterinarian service that's free to low-income and homeless. As a matter of fact, my wife now is the president of that organization. But the reason I mentioned that is that when I was talking to Stan Coe, and that's his name, we were talking about back when he was going to vet school and what it is like now. But he recalls then with in mind is that he would be taking uh, care of farm animals more. And that was more of the mission back at that time when people went to vet school. And certainly now it's changed into a whole nother area where obviously pets and things like that are the main focus. Have you seen that development? Yes, that's a really great observation how... I mean, that's sort of how our society has changed, right? So from utilitarian farming, which is still a big part of veterinary medicine, to then companion animals, and, you know, animals are big parts of our lives. Um, and then and then looking at human impacts on animals, and that's where, you know, endangered species work, conservation medicine, um, zoological medicine. And, and I think that's sort of the dominance of the human species, seeing that... Um, maintain this diversity of life on earth, uh, there, there's a role for the veterinarian because it's, it's really about health. I mean, sometimes I define conservation as preventive medicine for the planet, right? If we, if we save habitats and species, we're, we're, we're really preventing problems that then have a ripple effect and will affect us. So, yeah, I think that understanding of veterinarians as being, I mean, I can't do my job without the people who let me know their animals in trouble or are monitoring the animal in the wild. You know, I've worked both in, in zoos and in private practice and in, in the wild with mountain goats, for example, otters. And so that human-animal connection, I think, is the core and, and understanding what animals need from humans and then going from there. And then that's something that that's get really good at doing. And I think in public health now increasingly, you know, with this whole last two years, the role of uh, you know, infectious diseases and how they, where they come from and human-animal connections. I think, yeah, I think it's changing in, in, in a good way. I think um, we have a lot to contribute, but I also think it's complicated <laughs> and it's not simple and there's still a lot that we, that we need to understand in order to do, you know, to manage those interactions in a healthy way. As you mentioned, the animal kingdom, whether it's pets or truly animals out in the jungle, We can learn so much about infectious diseases and things like that that occur, and that is critical to our future as a human beings continuing to exist, I guess. I mean, how important is that? I think feeling connected to nature and appreciating it and celebrating it and then understanding it, I think it has to be both of those, right? Because the, the understanding can be the science part, but it can also be just the 
the role that animals play in our lives and being open to the fact that you know, we are the dominant animal and all animals need air, food, water, shelter, each other, and room to move, and that if we want to have a diverse planet uh, as humans decide where the resources go, both for us, you know, we other humans, and, and um, the rest of the animal world, that's the good part is like we have caused problems for animals by taking away their habitats, for example, but we also can solve that. We just have to not only want to do that, but we have to structure those solutions so that they benefit the people in the community where the animal is and, and you know, that it is all connected. You uh, authored a book, National Geographic's Animal Encyclopedia. Over 2,500 animals appear in this book. Pretty remarkable uh, display. I mean, uh, it's, it's pretty amazing. And, you know, looking at it, what is your takeaway in putting something like this together on such a scale? I've never seen anything on such a scale before. But what do you take away when you look at what you've done as far as the type of animals, how they interact? Is it something that jumped out in, at you when you were putting this all together? Yeah, so the, 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 the National Geographic Kids uh, Animal Encyclopedia, I think what I love most about it is it's just a beautiful book. And the photos, you know, there's a thousand photos in it. And they kind of structure the book and help you get through, you know, go through from one animal group to the next. They help you see um, how animals communicate. You know, there's some fun facts. But I think the photos are, you know, that's the first thing you notice. And then you start going into the text. And I think, again, that the photos are the artistry of the book, and the book is designed in, in such a very, it's so appealing, the colors. And for me, as a scientist, you know, I wrote the entries sort of in response to the photo layout once we decided which animals went in, in each section. And it is an encyclopedia, so it's like a collection of animals that goes through, you know, birds, mammals, reptiles, etc. And I really enjoyed writing the text sort of in response to the photos and because many of the animals are ones that I've touched or worked on as a patient or I've seen very close in the wild. And so I think there's a little bit of, a, you know, artistry and storytelling in the book that makes it special, as well as just the volume of information. It's, and, and all of that information, it's, it's so you can't really even count all the people who contributed because it's all the information we have about the animal world that's been published or shared. And, you know, we drew on all of what we could find to, to put the descriptions in and, the facts, and, uh, and I think it's you know it's meant to be fun uh, and inspirational, but it's also very informative, and you know that's really what my work in the last couple of years has been all about is just combining that idea of celebrating and studying as, as our motivation to then protecting. And so the book I think is is, is basically doing that for the little kids, and um, it is also a pretty great book to look at if you're the adult <laughs> in the room because it's, there's a lot to read and. It's, it's also very fun to see where kids go. You know, they page through it, and all of a sudden they're on the salamander page, or they're looking at the butterflies, or they didn't realize that there were small cats, you know, like the lynx, or they only knew about tigers. So it's, it's got a lot to discover, and I think it's, it's the first step in, in balancing those interactions, right, is really appreciating the otherness of the world and, and having empathy for other creatures as well as other people. And I think the book has a, big, has a role to play there for sure. That's Dr. Lucy Spellman. And we just talked about her book, The National Geographic Animals Encyclopedia. And again, it is by Dr. Lucy Spellman. And it has all these photos and maps, about 2,500 animals from the world's tallest to the longest to the strangest. 
The book is designed for kids, but I think anybody from any age can enjoy this. That's National Geographic Animal Encyclopedia, and you can just go to the usual book outlets to order your own copy, or you can just Google Dr. Lucy Spellman, and that's Dr. Lucy Spellman, and Spellman is S-P-E-L-M-A-N, dash books. So Dr. Lucy Spellman books, and you'll come up on her page, and you'll find a copy of this book and others she's written. I will say once again, I'm not paid a promotional fee for doing these interviews, but I did receive a complimentary copy of the book in advance of this interview. Well, that's all the time we have for this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey, and along with Eric Crema, thank you for joining us today. So what else? Uh, Any comments about what you heard today? You can call the Voices of Experience hotline at 425-653-1166. That's 425-653-1166. My name is Paul Casey. Thanks to Eric Crema, host of Spotlight on Success, and executive producers Steve Mills and Benny Mathers. Quote of the week. One of the nice things about egotists is that they don't talk about other people. And finally, experience is our best teacher. I found hope in the midst of an overwhelming situation. Alcoholism is a disease that can affect any family. Everyone suffers, but there is help and hope at Al-Anon Family Groups. Al-Anon gave me my life back. I'm a better father and husband. Are you in an overwhelming situation because of someone else's drinking? Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Local and virtual meetings are available. Maybe one could work for you. Call 1-866-200-0033 or visit alanon.org slash hope. For the self-employed, the most important decision you will make is the people you surround yourself with in business. So I want to talk about that today. This is part of my self-employment quiz that is on my website, which is voicesofexperience.com. And on that site, I have, again, a quiz that the higher you score on that quiz, my belief is that your prospects will be higher if you decide to go into business for yourself. And what I like about the quiz and the feedback I've received is that I'm not trying to talk you into going into business for yourself or out of it. I'm just trying to put you in the driver's seat to make that determination for yourself and just use this self-employment quiz as a guide. So if you want to take the quiz and get the results back, input voicesofexperience.com forward slash home. And again, you'll take the quiz and then uh, you'll get the results back immediately. So uh, one of the questions on the quiz is about ethics. And I just said that the most important decision you will make is the people you surround yourself with. And I really believe it. I've done a really good job of that overall, but I've stumbled a few times and I've paid a big price. And... Um, The questions you really need to ask when you're bringing someone into your business, are they honest and straightforward? If they make a promise, do they keep it? If they make a commitment, do they stick to it? Or are they always losing their homework sort of thing? Those are indicators right away. I don't know if it's totally ethically challenged, but it's something that could go back to that uh, really beginning of ethics. So pay close attention to how your clients and associates deal with people on a personal level. Remember my mom telling me about going out and playing golf with someone. I thought it was because you did it to be rewarded for a a good effort at the office. But in fact, the person who takes you out to golf is watching you to see, do you keep your score honestly? 
And you can really find out a lot about people when you play around a golf with them, their temperament. And again, do they fudge and things? These are indications. Hmm. So, um, that's uh, my parents really taught me a lot of uh, ethics and integrity. So I was very fortunate because of that to have grown up in a family with those options. If you're a person who has to think long and hard about the difference between right and wrong, then starting a business may not be for you. That's how important I think that is. Ethics is defined as the rules and standards governing conduct of the members of the profession. Integrity is defined as strict personal honesty and independence. The only part of life you have absolute control over is your word. If you say and you work for a large organization, you can sometimes hide from ethics because under the company umbrella, no one's really at fault. They're all kind of involved, but you can point fingers there Mm -hmm. and you're not considered to be entirely at fault no matter what happens. But when you are self-employed and you're the business owner, you are 100% accountable for your actions. And um, sometimes when I've been dealing with clients or potential advertisers, things go wrong. And the CEO will say, well, that's not my fault. This person in my company did this, or this person I hired to do it made a mistake. And that's right there tells you a red flag is that you are responsible for that person. You're abdicating your responsibility. If something goes wrong, that is on you. Don't blame your employee. You have that mindset, it'll serve you well going forward. So that's kind of what I uh, wanted to get out of this and uh, about ethics. But again, please feel free to visit voicesofexperience.com forward slash home and just take the self-employment quiz. Adoption of teens from foster care is a topic not enough people know about, and we're here to change that. I'm April Dinwiddie, host of the new podcast, Navigating Adoption, presented by Adopt US Kids. Each episode brings you compelling real-life adoption stories told by the families that live them with commentary from experts. Visit adoptuskids.org slash podcast or subscribe to Navigating Adoption, presented by Adopt US Kids. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Administration for Children and Families and the Ad Council. What if the second deadliest cancer in men and women could be prevented? Would you try to avoid the pain? And what if you could protect yourself without leaving your home? Colorectal cancer is highly preventable. Screening is important, safe, and most people have options. Ask your doctor which screening test is right for you. Learn more from the Colorectal Cancer Alliance at GetScreened.org. Where would you love to live? Have you explored today's market? When I spoke with Heather Ramos, she instantly put me at ease. I'm Coach Debbie from Story U, and I recommend Heather to first-time buyers or dream home shoppers and everyone in between. Let Heather's experience lead you to a perfect location and style and all within your budget. Contact Heather Ramos at Keller Williams. That's Heather Ramos at KW.com. 